Jeremiah 36, 2 through 3. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that every one may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Colossians 3:12-13 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Matthew six twelve and 14 to 15. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Matthew eighteen thirty two to 35. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt, because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to, to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Ephesians four thirty one and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. John fifteen twelve and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Mark eleven twenty five to 26. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Luke 17, 3-4 Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, Forgive him. James 1.19 This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Matthew 5.43-48 You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that... 
you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right. So, uh, as much of you had presumed uh, in hearing you guys in the fellowship hall in the basement, this is not a joke. I am preaching. <laughs> uh, so, um, so just keep Greg and Catherine your prayers. They're not feeling very well. And um, so, Greg asked me to speak on a subject that I am what would be called a master in, as in I've learned the ways I could teach them and help others in becoming the same way, which is bitterness and how that destroys your life. So we titled this, uh, Jason and I came up with this um, title in about 30 seconds uh, at about 8.45, Bitterness, How It Will Destroy Your Life. So um, I want to open with uh, this is R.T. Kendall's Total Forgiveness Experience. We have this in the back in the library. Um, and I'm just going to read the very first sentence of the introduction. This book, out of all the books I've written, is by far the one that has the greatest potential to heal the human heart. So, uh, if you guys know any of R.T. Kendall's ministry, he's written several books um, on a wide array of subjects. And he thinks that this is the one that has the greatest potential to do inner healing and deliver from a mindset uh, and heal the human, the human heart and spirit. So, um, if you notice, uh, you have four pages. <laughs> so, uh, it's not enough that the servant should become like his master. You guys aren't going to get off easy. But hopefully, we can move through the first two pages rather quickly and um, focus on the second two pages, which is my hope. So, uh, the whole reason I wanted to start with that Jeremiah 36 uh, verse is, you know, God's giving a warning to his people over and over. It's a common theme that this is the judgment that's coming. Repent, seek the Lord, return to covenant faithfulness, turn from your wicked ways, turn from your idolatry, uh, and come and serve the living God. Um, and you can apply that to, you know, having physical idols uh, and in, you know, that form of exile throughout all of the Old Testament where they literally make idols of, you know, Moloch and sacrificing their children and, and everything. And um, I think it's a, it's a Calvin quote or one of the early reformers that goes to the effect of the heart is an idol-producing factory uh, that kind of knows no ends. Um, so just quickly running through this first page on, uh, these are only New Testament references that are very clear warnings against bitterness, unforgiveness, harboring, uh, some kind of IOU or, uh, I'm going to get you back. The Lord clearly commands to forgive, right? That's not, there's no question about it, <laughs> right? So I want to break some of them down real quick. 
Um, even in the Lord's Prayer, uh, the Our Father in Matthew 6, as he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Right there, that should cause like everyone to stop and say, wait a minute, you want me to pray in such a manner that says, forgive me in the same manner or the same quality or the same uh, essence or character that I'm forgiving as an example? That should like instantly cause you to say, wait a minute, uh, I don't really want that. If I know my own heart, if I know my sinful nature, even to the slightest bit, of holding any uh, form of debt or uh, any form of I'm going to get you back or any form of uh, bitterness, I don't want to pray that. That would be very dangerous and very bad for me to really want the Lord to honor, forgive us our debts or forgive me my debts as I forgive those in the same way, right? Um, so that should like instantly raise a bunch of red flags in our spirits and say, wait a minute, what is the depth and quality of my forgiveness towards others and bitterness and harboring resentment, right? So I do want to make it clear that uh, even though he's saying like, you shall not, uh, or you shall not, I'm sorry, in that Matthew 18, uh, 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. So we have to look at the whole tenet of Scripture and not, uh, even though these are very clear warnings from the Lord to repent, forgive, and walk in newness of life, that it's not if you forgive, then the Lord will forgive you. That would be works-based righteousness, right? But we know, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing, not by works of man, so that no man may boast. But uh, just to explain the biblical example of forgiveness. It's that forgiveness that which we apprehend from the Lord, that which we receive and we perceive, is the same forgiveness that we're going to transcribe to everyone else. So once we get to the second page on like the fruits of bitterness and resentment, anger, uh, slander, malice, um, we're going to see that, you know, how we... Uh, how we're walking out our forgiveness towards others is the fruit on the tree that directly goes back to the root. So in no way is scripture prescribing that if you forgive, then the Lord will forgive you. That's not the equation, right? We might seem that it might seem like that, uh, you know, right off the bat, but to explain um, biblical, for, biblical ideas of forgiveness is not, you know, as the world would think of, you know, just don't, don't retaliate, don't contact the person, don't, um, you know, if you have something, if someone hurts you, just, just let it go. Uh, you know, that's not the biblical idea. The biblical idea is like there is no, there's a debt, right? If someone harms you, that's a real sin. There's a real hurt, uh, which could be valid or invalid. You could have bitterness that's not valid bitterness. You know, someone could uh, have accidentally ran your cat over <laughs> or something uh, and you harbor a bitterness, right? That's from an accident or something. Um, but there's real bitterness uh, that would, could come from when someone sins against you, right? And then there's a debt owed. I want to get even. There, there would be a payment, right? If there's a sin, there has to be a payment. So the idea in Scripture that God is getting at if you look at the whole of it, is that that, that IOU, that I'm going to get you back, that debt is canceled. 
That's the whole Matthew 18 um, parable of the unforgiving servant is that he had, you know, what they, you know, transcribes to like millions or billions of dollars of debt and he was going to be thrown him, his wife and his children into jail till he repays it. But his master of his loving kindness cancels the debt, forgets it. It's no more. And him being an unforgiving, wicked servant goes out and finds someone that owes him, I think it's the, like a day's wage, a couple hundred bucks, which would, it would be in you know, American currency. And he instantly goes and chokes him and says, give me what you owe. Right? He didn't apprehend that which was forgiven of him uh, in manners to that would be, you know, progress to the servant that, that his servant. You know, he had no mercy he still wanted that debt, even though he was forgiven, you know, so much. So the idea is cancellation of debts, no more IOUs, um, and it's based off of how we, our ability to apprehend and understand the grace that's been given to us. So that's really all I want to spend on the front page. I think those are pretty basic, um, pretty clear cuts, that we do have a clear command uh, to not harvest bitterness, resentment, you know, uh, we have to forgive. We have to work towards that, right? So let's move to the back of that first page. So I did have a little bit of, you know, trouble thinking, like, do I want to put this understanding, uh, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, anger, malice at the top or the next section at the bottom? Um, so I kind of want to dive into the idea of uh, not necessarily the root of bitterness yet, but uh, what is one of the major problems that I perceive? And what I perceive is its perception. <laughs> the, the <laughs> if you guys get it. Uh, <laughs> the, um, what harbors bitterness is a wrong perception. So let's read some of these scriptures. Luke 7, 47 and 48. Uh, For this I say to her, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. So who knows the context of who's being forgiven? Does anyone know the context in Luke 7? It's a prostitute. She's weeping at Jesus' feet and washing, washing Jesus' feet in her tears and wiping it with her hair. And Christ was invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner, and uh, just before Jesus gives this uh, answer to the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees say, like, they see this prostitute washing Christ's feet with her tears, and they say, if he knew who this woman was, then he would not let her touch him. Because their ideas were, we're clean, we're Pharisees, Levitical law, uh, we wouldn't even let someone that filthy come near to us to touch us. We wouldn't be in the same proximity, right? So Christ's answer is, uh, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So I use that a lot when I'm uh, talking with guys at Wright State or opponents to kind of show, like, whose sins were worse, the prostitute or the Pharisees? They're the same. I don't see uh, a whole lot of difference. They're both very adulterous in their own respect. Um, one was manifest in a physical way. Another one was manifest in a different physical way, in idolatry. Uh, and 
works-based righteousness, which is just as disgusting to the Lord. So uh, he says that he who is forgiven little loves little. Uh, so keep that in mind. I'm going to read the, um, at least it's Matthew 6, 21 through 24. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? So what do the eyes do? The eyes perceive. They see. They're your vision, right? We talk a lot about um, you know, worldviews and, uh, and paradigms of how we view things in context. Anybody can see the same things, right? Christ saw the same prostitute weeping at his feet, and the Pharisees saw it differently. There's a, dear, a clear difference in perception there. So uh, my kind of uh, admonition to you is, you know, when we hold unforgiveness and bitterness, resentment, anger, malice, all these things come from a wrong view and a low view of God and a low view of sin. That's why uh, we have in the eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel series, the first element is God. Who is God? What is he like? Um, I wouldn't have been able to define who God was uh, very well or accurately before reading scripture or having someone taught me. Though I grew up in the church or grew up in a church, uh, most of my life, I just uh, harbored a bunch of bitterness and resentment, uh, which kept my perceptions of who God was. So, uh, what I'm proposing to you is, when we harbor bitterness and resentment, uh, we have to see God as less holy, less merciful, um, less righteous, less good, and we have to see sin as not as bad not as terrible, not as deep, not as much of a problem. Does everybody mostly get that? Does that make most sense to everybody? So, uh, like if we take the verses that we saw in the front, like you, like the Colossians, um, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. If we see like our bitterness and our resentment, those angers that we harbor against when people sin against us, right? If you... Like, just as we would say, you can't just love nebulously. It has to be attached to a, a thing, a person, a space. You can't just say, I love. Like, what do you love? A person? Pizza? Basketball? Like, it has to be attached to something. The same way with forgiveness, you have to forgive someone. There has to, like, the forgiveness, you can't just say, I forgive nebulously. It doesn't make any sense. Right? So... Uh, that has to be attached to a, a person, a wrongdoing, a sin. So when we take that and we see that sin, if we're able to continue to harbor bitterness and resentment, the anger, we have to say God is less holy. He is less light and able to be approached in illumination and in holiness. And holiness isn't that bad. And God's not that angry. And sin's not that big of a deal. In order for us to be deceived and to continue into bitterness. So, um, that's all I want to propose to you guys. If we kind of get those points of that Christ is commanding us to forgive, 
God's continually causing us to apprehend the mercy and grace and forgiveness that he's given us and forgive others in the same way, and a deep view of God's holy nature and sin, then we can continue, um, you know, as we identify bitterness to, to root it out and understand it um, in a more scriptural way. So, one of the things that is surprising to me, which isn't um, as, I guess I would just say as taught or as identified as I personally would like, um, you know, is the, the idea of not having any neutrality. You're either serving God or you're serving an idol. There's no, like, in-between. Um, so I, I want to apply that to bitterness, to resentment, unforgiveness. So I put in there, insert, insert Lord and Savior, overcomes you, you are held captive to obey its demands. So you can insert anything there, and those are your options. Second Peter 2.19, for whatever, overcome, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So uh, I think that's a spiritual and physical principle that whatever overcomes us, whatever, like, I can't stop, I can't stop playing basketball, I can't stop being bitter, I can't stop uh, preaching the gospel, I can't stop doing something, that is your Lord and Savior. That is your idol, that is what you worship and, to, and prescribe the most worth to. So, when Matthew 6.24 goes into saying, you can serve, no, I'm sorry, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You can insert any idol there. You can't serve God in bitterness. You can't serve God in unforgiveness. You can't serve uh, God and any other idol. There is no in-between. So that inevitably, inevitably means that whatever that Lord and Savior is, whatever that idol is, overcomes you to where you can't help it. And I always use the reference of Second uh, Corinthians 5.14, that says the love of Christ controls us. He goes in saying, you know, we have uh, seen that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Therefore, we're going to, you know, this is paraphrasing, that we're going to live the rest of our lives in a manner worthy of our Savior. Because the love of Christ controls us. Right? You can't serve uh, Christ and bitterness. It's impossible they don't mix. So if you look at uh, Psalms 115.8 and Psalm 135.8, uh, those who make them become like them, speaking of idols, so do all who trust in them. Whatever becomes your Savior and your Lord, that is what you're going to become like. So as we're going to move on to like what are the fruits of bitterness and um, and uh, you know as even before that like bitterness. Like, who's your, whose father are you? We will, we will be able to identify, like, where, uh, who is our Lord and Savior based off of the fruit of the tree, right? In Luke 6, uh, Jesus tells a parable of, you know, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit, because the tree is about the fruit. That's the whole purpose. You wouldn't say, like, you know, in an apple tree, uh, like a beautiful apple tree, but it's producing rotten apples that are small and sour, you wouldn't say, wow, what a great tree. This is doing great. This is awesome. 
you would say it's a bad tree. Something's wrong in the root system. Something's wrong in how it's processing nutrients. There's something internally wrong with the external fruit, right? So um, I put in there uh, the New City Catechism question number 17 um, that we teach downstairs to the, to the reader's class is what is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope, happiness, significance, and life. Oh, I'm sorry, significance and security. So um, we haven't quite gotten to how bitterness destroys your life. <laughs> we're kind of laying all the groundworks behind this. Um, but we're going to be able to identify and, you know, and look in, inter, introspectively of, in the forms of unforgiveness and bitterness is this something that I'm trusting in, that I'm holding on to, relying on, that I have faith in, in this IOU and holding this debt uh, that gives me my significance, my happiness, and security? Uh, I know, you know, some brothers and sisters that have clear problems with holding on to bitterness or hurts that they have, and a lot of them are valid whether it's father issues, mother issues, uh, something that happened to them um, early on in life that they had no control over. And it continues to plague them. And it seems as like, from my perspective, is that, um, that you know, anyone who wants to hold on to this bitterness or this resentment, it becomes their identity, right? Just as in Christ, we would say that He's the federal head. I now have been adopted by Christ, and I now identify with Christ and his promises and his identification of me, right? And this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, I know people who identify, and that's who I am. Bitterness is who I am. They wouldn't express it that way, but they would, everything that points to that, that I can't get rid of it, it controls me, it's where they find their significance, um, and it absolutely does. If it overcomes you, if you can't help it, if it's something that you walk in, you're captive to obey its demands, its will, and it is um, something that people find identity in. But uh, that is a product of maybe an identification of, uh, as we're going to look at it, like who's your father? Uh, everyone is becoming like their father. We should, uh, as renewed in Christ, be seeking to become like our Father, right? That's the whole idea of the first page of warnings of unforgiveness and the commands to forgive is, you know, the Colossians verse again, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive, that we should be continually becoming like our Father in heaven, you know, pressing out his kingdom in forgiveness, how he does it here on the earth. So I would just submit to you guys um, something to think about in... Um, I'm just going to list some of these, John 8, 44, and 45. Uh, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, You are of the father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Revelation twelve ten. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Ephesians 4, 25 and 27. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And uh, just another, uh, I'll just read uh, Matthew eighteen thirty four. Um, yeah, and in anger, his master, this is coming from the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers or the, that's the ESV, the NASB says torturers, till he should pay all his debt. So, um, if we kind of put those together, um, you know, us who have been born of Christ, who continue to seek, like if, if, if these verses on the front should get your attention, right, on the commands to forgive, um, and thinking if we're forgiving in the same way that Christ has forgive, each one of us falls short of that. We should all have some level of conviction right away. If you don't and you throw that off and you say, oh, this isn't for me, this is, you know, that probably means that it is for you. <laughs> so uh, I would just call you guys to think about when you were harboring bitterness and resentment that uh, Christ is saying, like the accuser of the brethren who accuses uh, them day and night before God um, are we holding bitterness, resentment against other brothers or sisters in Christ? Do we easily accuse or give way to accusations um, and bitterness and hold on to those uh, to even our own brothers and sisters here in this specific community? So even in that um, Ephesians, give no opportunity to the devil. So let's backtrack then. Do not be, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, I think of, uh, do we have it on the front? I think it's Matthew 6 or 7, where if you have a, grievance against your brother, leave your offering at the altar and go reconcile to him. Um, you know, I think about that like often in taking communion of, you know, in conjunction with 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, um, about taking the, the, you know, the Eucharist in an unworthy manner and bringing judgment on, on yourself. Um, is, am I harboring bitterness, you know, against someone? And it's, you know, to Christ, that's not a light issue. That's a very serious thing to take up an accusation against the brother, continue to the table and drink Christ's blood and never seek to be reconciled to your brother. One thing I uh, love to ask, I think it's you know, earlier in Matthew 18 where we have the, um, the kind of clause of if your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his faults. Uh, if he doesn't repent, uh, take two or three witnesses and if he still doesn't turn from his ways, take it to the church. If he's still unwilling to repent, uh, treat him as a tax collector. So I ask people all the time, like, what's the, 
What's the heart behind this? What's the heart behind Matthew 18 principle? And more often than more often than not, I hear people say, "Well, it's to show them their faults so that they could, uh, you know, so they'd know and kind of fix themselves or something." Uh, but I hardly, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that it's a spirit of reconciliation. The idea is show your brother his faults, no, not so that he knows his faults, and you say, "Yeah, gotcha," <laughs> right? We're easy to jump to that. I'm easy to say, oh, this brother hurt me. I'm going to tell him his faults so that he fixes it. Right? Like that's not the spirit behind Matthew 18, the Matthew 18 principle. But I've hardly ever asked somebody and they've gotten it, you know, right, so to speak, of having a heart of reconciliation of like, this brother is going to be rejoined to me because there's a separation. Whether there's a hurt or a bitterness and it's held on to, there's a separation there. And the heart is, that we'd be joined back together because that bitterness actually uh, separates us first and foremost um, from communion with God, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then ourselves. That's why he's saying give no opportunity to the devil. Be quick to forgive. Love holds no record of wrongs. So as we move on to the fruit of bitterness, resentment, anger, on the, which will be the third page, uh, I want to like use that to wrap it into this uh, John Casian quote, who was uh, an early um, church theologian, lived from 360 to 435. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but bear with me here, because um, I think he really gets to the heart of the matter where it comes to you know allowing bitterness and resentment to harbor against brothers in Christ and that separation it makes. So granted, this... Uh, Uh, parlance is is quite old, but uh, if our purpose is to fight the spiritual fight and to defeat, with God's help, the demons of malice, we should take every care to guard our heart from the demon of dejection, just as a mouth devour, or I'm sorry, as a moth devours clothing and a worm devours wood, so dejection devours a man's soul. It persuades him to shun every helpful encounter and stops him from accepting advice from his true friends or giving them a a courteous and peaceful reply. Seizing the entire soul, it fills it with bitterness and listlessness. Then it suggests to the soul that we should go away from other people, since they are the cause of its agitation. It does not allow the soul to understand that its sickness does not come from without, but lies hidden within only manifesting itself when temptations attack and the soul because of our ascetic efforts. A man can be harmed by another only through the causes of the passions which lie within itself. It is for this reason that God, the creator of all and the doctor of men's souls, who alone has accurate knowledge of the soul's wounds, does not tell us to forsake the company of men. He tells us to root out the causes of evil within us and to recognize that the soul's health is achieved not by a man separating himself from his fellows, but by his living the aesthetic life in the company of holy men. When we abandon our brothers for some apparently good reason, we do not eradicate the motives of dejection, but merely exchange them. Since the sickness which lies hidden within us will show itself again in other circumstances. 
So what's he saying? He's saying that, that, that bitterness, that malice, that wanting to get back, that uh, dejection, that depression that causes ill intent makes a separation between our brothers and sisters in Christ. That which God intends to be the solution, him working by his spirit and his word through other brothers and sisters to heal us, to give us an opportunity to repent and be rejoined, we are pushing away. So it's not first and foremost, uh, um, you know, a, a rejection and bitterness against the person. First and foremost, we're rejecting God's ways and his character and his plan. That's what we first have to repent of. So the fruit of bitterness, if we see that, like, I usually use like this First John uh, 3.16 and First um, John 1 about, uh, you know, by this children, by this the children of God and the children of the devil, devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And then skipping down to 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. So, just by like a show of hands, who knows someone that actually isn't part of a local church because of they've had problems or they have some bitterness or they would say that the church had some kind of hurt? I know probably 10 people, like personally, <laughs> I know at least 10, um, that that keeps them from fellowshipping with God, with the body of Christ, which is the solution. So... So that goes deeper, I think, than um, looking at, you know, uh, other people who aren't in the body of Christ or aren't in this local church or aren't, you know, what's the, the whole idea of bitterness is putting it on someone else. It's someone else's problem. It's their fault. They're causing the problem. So I'm going to separate myself from them. But what about here in uh, GCF or in, you know, there's a lot of people in RCF that don't necessarily come here, but is there some bitterness that's causing you to separate or to avoid another brother and sister in Christ? Is there uh, some hurt or some apparent hurt that's causing you to not go into service, not give more of your time and energy uh, because of some apparent hurt or some, some bitterness that's going on or some unforgiveness? Is there someone here that, uh, you avoid, that you don't want to sit next to, uh, because, um, you know, as John Casey is saying, that uh, they would give you advice, or they would give you godly counsel. That's something that bitterness does, uh, and which separates you from the body, is keeps you from those people who God is using to give you godly wisdom and counsel. I know... Uh, there's problems with that, right? I know, uh, let's see, I think it's Proverbs ten seventeen is one of my more go-to ones on this. Uh, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. And Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So, one of the problems with not accepting correction usually isn't the correction itself. In my case, uh, 
or in my experience, it's usually the person. <laughs> I don't like who's telling me what to do or who's telling me that godly counsel. I'm not, I don't have a problem with the truth. <laughs> I don't have a problem with, um, you know, if, if John Luke told me something, I don't have a problem with that, you know, but if I heard it from, from Bradbury or something, I might get offended <laughs> because it came from him or something. We all have those situations where, where it's, not the, it's not the reproof or correction that's causing us uh, to reject it. It's the person, right? So, uh, one of the problems, uh, well, let me uh, explain this real quick. Let's, let's kind of explain the mandate in uh, Hebrews twelve fifteen, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it me and by it many become become defiled. Sorry, um, and so what's the metaphor there, or what's the 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 illusion? Is that there's a root of bitterness sprouting up? There's a lot of agricultural metaphors in Scripture just like the one I referenced earlier in Luke 6, uh, it's 43 to 49, of a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. Because a tree is known by its fruits, right? You know there's something wrong if it's in the root. If, there's, if, there's, if the fruit is bad, you know there's something wrong in the roots. So let's just kind of take that Hebrews 12, 15, see that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. So what happens in agriculture when you lay a seed into the ground, right? Let's, we're going to call it, you know, the seed of bitterness, you know, comes up and it sprouts up. I know for a fact uh, that if uh, a maple tree was planted, within a week I'm going to know exactly it's a maple tree because it sprouts one leaf that you can identify it with. It's a maple leaf. There's like a little stem, smaller than my finger, and it will have one normal-sized leaf, and I know it's a maple tree. So, um, what the writer's, uh, writer of Hebrews is saying, and I think, um, you know, even that Ephesians passage of let all bitterness and wrath and anger uh, and clamor and slander be put away, you have a choice by the grace of God to see that root of bitterness sprouting up, and what do you do? What happens to a tree if it continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow? It takes over. You can't root it up. You know, when I worked for Arbor Experts Cutting Down Trees, uh, we didn't like pick the trees up and the root systems and throw them in the back of a truck. We had to cut them down. And if there was roots in the ground, we had to use um, a big tilling-like machine to uh, grind up all the roots. But they go, we, we can only go about two feet down. The roots are still in the ground. And sometimes, uh, especially with like, there's a tree called like a hackberry or... Um, a lot of weed trees, you can actually cut it at the base. If the roots are still there, it's still going to sprout up. Uh, case in point, uh, the red house. <laughs> if anyone's been to uh, the red house and seen the, the fence, we cut it down um, every summer, and there's still tons of trees there. Because <laughs> we, we didn't go to the root, right? So the writer of, he of Hebrews, I think, is identifying a problem that uh, he's giving that warning just as all those scriptures on the front page were giving the warnings 
of when you see that root of bitterness sprout up, you know, you can identify it. Scripture gives clear ways to identify it. You know, if you're separating yourself from brothers and sisters, you're separating yourself from service, you're avoiding people. Uh, if it's always someone else's problem, if it's not receiving rebuke or, or correction uh, properly, um, if it's wanting to hold that debt, if years later um, you still have the same identity of somebody, of how they hurt you, that's a root of bitterness. Pluck it out by the grace of God. One of my uh, favorite verses, Second Peter Five, uh, I'm sorry, Second Peter 1, 5 through 11 says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Do you say that continuing to increase in the mercy and grace of God by apprehending that which Christ has already paid for you and walking that out? Therefore, we could not hold that bitterness against our brother. We could not be anything but quick to forgive when we apprehend and see what Christ has done for us. So, um, flipping to the last page, when do we normally stop? Like at 10.30? I think we're supposed to stop at 10.15, right? That's close. This, is, this was going to be a four-week series, but... So even if you look, you know, if we continued in First Peter, he says, like, I would, like, by way of reminder, by, by reminder continue uh, you to walk in these things. Like Peter said, he, the, you guys already know this, but I'm giving this as a reminder. Just as, uh, you know, in I think it's First or Second Thessalonians, uh, it says like, you know, you're doing these things well, but continue doing them. Be all the more excellent in them, right? So, um, you know, I think I'm going to use the last kind of part to, uh, you know, you guys can look over that last page, and, you know, you can't actually produce the walking in bitterness and forgiveness without knowing the heart and character of Christ. You can't do it. You would have a wrong perception. You would have your own ideas of how that looks. Um, you can't do it apart from Christ. Um, and keeping your eye on the prize, running in such a way. Um, but, you know, what bitterness does, I just want to use like the last five minutes to kind of talk about uh, a little bit of my testimony and, um, you know, if you get the weight of these scriptures that, you know, uh, when you're walking in bitterness, unforgiveness, you can identify these things and you're not plucking out the root, that should, like, cause you to fall on your face and beg God for mercy. You should be like uh, Paul in Romans 7.24 until you get to, like, if you're not at a point in identifying that and being able to walk out forgiveness, uh, when Paul says, like, who will deliver me from this body of death? If that's not your attitude, like, you really need to see Christ at that. Because that should be, right? Because we're seeing that, like, bitterness, unforgiveness is no light issue. Um, so, you know, kind of my testimony is, I remember 
uh, like I was sitting right here and I was getting prayed for uh, to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And um, what I do remember, it was like four years ago or something by now. Um, I remember uh, Nathan Hager was there, Greg, maybe John, uh, and a couple other guys. And uh, they'd asked me just to do some basic prayers of repentance, of lifestyle, and forgiving some people that have hurt me. Um, And what I remember is, although I was like in this fury of rage and aggression, uh, they asked me to pray for some specific people in my life that have hurt me. Uh, And I was so filled with anger and bitterness, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Uh, And I was punching the floor because I was so angry about who had hurt me. And that's what controlled my life. And that's how I lived, day by day, constantly thinking and running through my mind, how are these people going to get, how how am I going to get even with them? How am I going to repay them? How are they going to get what, like, they owe me? They hurt me, right? And uh, I was just in such, I was like punching the floor, and uh, so aggressive and so angry and crying out, like, this isn't right, this isn't fair, I don't want to forgive them, um, and actually had to have uh, a lot of demons of anger and bitterness cast out of me before I could even, uh, you know, receive the baptism of the Spirit. But after all that, after going through these prayers and being, you know, counseled about, you know, this is a this is a daily thing to walk in bitterness and unforgiveness. I had to pray for two years for one person in particularly, uh, not just that they would, you know, that I could forgive them, but, you know, as Christ says in uh, Matthew 5 about pray for those who persecute you and bless them, right? About that they would actually be blessed. That's an out, astound, you know, outstanding thing to ask. Those people that hurt you, please bless them. Give them whatever they need. Have your presence over them, Lord, not for my sake, not so that I could get something out of it. Not so that uh, they could realize what they, how they've hurt me and repent of it. No, Lord, just bless them because, uh, because you have blessed me and I don't deserve it. Lord, please bless them. Uh, and I had to pray for some people two years almost every day. Like, Lord, please help me to walk in forgiveness uh, and bitterness and bless them with whatever they need, whether it's monetary or anything. Not so that I would be blessed, but so that they would, so that your name would be glorified. And uh, one of the things, you know, that started to happen as I continued to choose by the grace of God to walk in that, see Christ as holy and my sin as eternally debted to him uh, that I could never pay is like even things like I remember I would be like, uh, in the shower or something, and I'd have all these thoughts running through my head about, like, what's going on? And, like, I had no clarity of mind, no clarity. Uh, like, there was never any rest for my mind on on thought, and it would, it would keep me up at night. And I remember after, uh, you know, initially that night of praying and, you know, getting some demons cast out of me of anger and unforgiveness and bitterness... Uh, having the most peace and rest I've ever had in my life. I remember actually walking out the door and I was like, Lord, like, I don't know exactly what you want me to do, but uh, if I could experience you to this level 
every day, I'll just serve you the rest of my life. And I don't know what that means, but I hope you'll show me. <laughs> like, I don't know. And, um, you know, over time, as I continued to, um, you know, pray for those who had hurt me and release that to the Lord and be content, you know, as Joseph, uh, if you guys read Genesis 50 about how Joseph isn't holding any bitterness against his brothers, um, and, you know, seeking the Lord on that level and to be free, uh, like, I wasn't plagued with, like, these, these thoughts and these, this mindset of constantly racing. There's freedom and peace in Christ, and there's freedom from that and in, in being free from that, uh, from that bitterness. And I have, I've never had, like, more clarity of mind in my life than since I've been, uh, you know, in that moment set free and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then as I choose to walk in that every day, that I apprehend that. So, um, we have, like, I know there's people in our congregation that, that deal with this every single day. Bitterness, resentment, anger, and it controls you, and it keeps you from others. It keeps you from re re receiving rebuke, godly counsel, and it separates you. Um, I would just say we have the tools. Uh, we've got books, The Total Forgiveness Experience, um, Deliverance, Sozo. We have mature Christians uh, who have apprehended the grace of God and overcome uh, lifestyles of bitterness and resentment. I'm not the only one. Uh, there's tons of you out there uh, that have walked in that and have the character to disciple those and how you can actually be set free. Because you don't have to walk in this bitterness. You don't have to continue. So I would just really encourage everyone to seek that out um, and... You know, use the tools necessary that are being provided for you to be set free. Amen.